the value of each one of us here. That down through time, you would have worn that scarlet robe just for one of us. And so, Lord, as we consider this topic this morning of the scarlet thread, guide us to see that we, in the plan of salvation, in your banner of love, a scarlet, a, a scarlet thread came down to us to help us see your love and kindness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can imagine the guards coming into the throne room rapidly as they try to apprehend someone who's trying to get by them to the pharaoh. And the pharaoh reluctantly says, go ahead and let him come on in. And here comes a messenger. It looks like a Canaanite messenger from far away in the region that the pharaoh wishes to protect but knows that as of late there have been some insurgencies, there have been some rebellions, there have been kings literally conquered and put down. And here comes this trembling messenger to his throne making a request, please, Pharaoh, you must come. You must intercede for us. Send your best archers. If you would just send your archers to us, we could put down the Habiru. Now, you can find such excerpts as those in the Armana letters that were dated about the time of Joshua. But imagine being the Pharaoh and you are receiving a messenger from the land of Canaan who is coming to you anxiously and saying, If you don't intercede, we are finished. Now, the city-states of Canaan were known to each have their own armies, Sihon, Og, even giants in their armies, but they were lacking a coalition of forces to face an oncoming Israelite or Habiru army of 600,000 men plus women and children. Imagine facing a huge army that even if only a third of that was ready for battle, you would be outnumbered in your city more than many times over. And so the messenger comes to the Pharaoh, places the message, which would later be known in our archaeological records as the Armana letters, into his hands. And the Pharaoh, instead of placing hope back in the messenger's hands, says, I know of which you speak. May your gods be with you. Escort him out. Can you imagine being the messenger from Canaan, receiving no hopeful reply from the Pharaoh? We have no recorded hopeful reply from the Pharaoh to those Ormana letters or to any records of attack from Canaan about the time of Joshua. We have no hopeful record from the Pharaoh. And you go back home without any hope, and you go back maybe to Jericho. Yes, you have a well-walled city, and yes, years ago, spies came to your land 40-some years ago, and they recognized your walled cities, and they did not come through an attack, but now you face them again. Increased in number, they have come out of the land of Egypt, and now your strongest ally, Pharaoh, will not ally himself with you in the battle. How would you feel at that point in time? I mean, we're talking about uh, an army here, a foreign invasion. And yes, you're, in, you're engaged in your pagan rituals and your sacrifices and your media of the day, but you know that this army is coming and it outnumbers you. How would you feel if you said, may your gods be with you? And you know no gods have been with their people that far. Well, as you could imagine that, you go over to Joshua chapter 2, and you find, yes, there is a message of destruction that is coming. Yes, there is a message of hopelessness, if you will. But embedded in this chapter is a message of hope. Just in that one word, scarlet cord, the cord word there in the Hebrew means hope. And right here in this chapter, we find not someone who's trembling necessarily because there is no hope, but someone who is looking forward 
to these Israelites coming because in them lies the hope for her. And I want you to go to Joshua chapter 2. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, starting there at verse 1. Go, view the land, especially Jericho. Can you imagine Joshua? Here he is years later after having been a spy years before for Moses, having gone into the land as a spy and come back with a report of, yes, there was walled cities and giants, but we can take the land. Now here he is. He's been told in chapter one, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, and now he's going to send spies into the land. And the question that came to my mind was, you know, Joshua, if you had taken it to heart what God had told you in chapter one, why are you sending spies into the land? Just go. That's the way I act. Just, all right, let's just move forward. <laughs> I'm a little hasty sometimes, but that's the reaction I had in this text is, why, Joshua, are you sending spies into the land? Isn't it reminiscent of the spies before they were supposed to enter the land of Canaan before? Well, that's where our answer comes from, really. You compare this chapter to Numbers, and you find some definite similarities, but some very big differences. If you compare this chapter to the chapter in Numbers, you'll find that the spies were commissioned, the spies were told to enter the land, they eventually will return to the people, bring a report, and maybe even an item of value. In the case of Moses' time, it was those huge, a huge cluster of grapes, right? It took two men to carry that thing. And they would present the item of value to their leader. Now, you find the same type of sequence happens here, except for minus an item of value, per se, that they're bringing back and presenting. Unless you consider a person of value then you have the exact parallel to the story, except for acts of faith result, and except for this person of value is saved and is a messenger of salvation to her family as she comes back to Joshua. So as I consider the question, why would you send spies, Joshua? It's very obvious. God obviously prompted him to do this in order to save an individual and her family. That's in addition to just figuring out the fortifications of Jericho. And so I believe that he sends the spies. It's reminiscent of the times in the past, but it's also because God has a plan of salvation. And in this plan of salvation, he has somebody in mind in this city. Someone who's in that stronghold, somebody who's steeped, has been steeped in that religion and all of that and the immorality of that culture and wants out. And we find he sends the spies in to rescue her and her family. So that's one answer. But it also says, view the land, especially Jericho. Now, isn't that what happened years earlier when they saw that there were cities with huge walls? Well, you find Jericho. We find some accounts say they had a double wall, earth, and then they had two layers above it. This huge wall. Other accounts think there was only two layers there. But nonetheless, they had this huge outer wall, the likes of which, if you look at Jericho, you find there was a grove around it, uh, they believe, of palm trees or some trees that had an incense or a smell to them. And there in that U-shaped area there, they had their city up on this hill. And so there the city sat, unlikely to be conquered, still having the huge walls. And he says, especially look in Jericho. There is no really other answer than, yes, Jericho was sitting at a crossroads, if you will, a trade route, and it's important to get into the land of Canaan. 
But there still remains that one answer. He's not afraid of the walls. He's not afraid of the giants. He's the one who had the faithful report years ago, Joshua is. He's sending them in to rescue someone whom God loves dearly. And the same can be spoken of for each one of us. We would not be sitting here if God hadn't at some point sent someone to us to reach our hearts. He can send an angel. He can send dreams and visions. He can send pieces of literature. That's fine. But sometimes he sends a person. And here we find the two spies come in to save this woman. We find it says, So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now some argue this is an innkeeper, but as you look at the, the text in the New Testament and you look at the Greek Old Testament, it's clear it's, it's someone who, yes, we like to color code her as an innkeeper, but really she has a colorful background. You find in the book of Matthew she's listed with the likes of Tamar, who herself became disguised as a prostitute to, to really deceive Judah into doing the right thing, which was foolish for Judah. He should have done it anyway. But you find she's right there with Tamar and Uriah's wife. And you find here, in the original language, it's saying, in the Greek, porne, where someone who is engaged in this type of, some kind of immoral behavior for gain. Does she want to be there? Does she want to be engaged in that? Even if you go the innkeeper route, she obviously doesn't want to be there anymore. It's pretty clear of that. But from the original language, it appears here and in the book of Hebrews that she is someone who, for whatever reason, has found herself trapped in that society, trapped in that culture, trapped in that lifestyle. And yet, she finds hope in the oncoming armies of Israel. And the king of Jericho finds out that these spies have come to her and says, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. And so I'm not sure if he sends a messenger or sends guards. Nonetheless, the message comes to her to, in essence, produce these men. They've come here in the middle of the night. Yes, they've gone to you. We know they're Israelites. There's no hiding the fact. Even if you try to hide them, we know they are here. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the country. And so they have come into the land. The messenger comes to her, delivers a message. She then goes and she takes the two men, hides them. We know the story. Says, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of the flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. And so they're planning on, if we have been tricked here, there's no way for them to get out. But we also know from the story that God has made a provision through this woman. She will be the salvation of these spies. Does that excuse? I mean, it appears to be a blatant lie here. Does that excuse that? Well, I've never been in a situation where I've had to estimate the value of a human life over me miscoloring the truth. Most commentators point out she's still a diamond in the rough. That she, this is not necessarily prescribing to us to be, able, be lying, but it's saying this is what happened. Okay? This is what she did. And it resulted in saving these men. And before they laid down, you can imagine the guards rushing out of the city, closing the gate, 
And now she watches them, and as they go out, and she comes up there to see these Israelites, that before they lay down, she came to them and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Why? She says, you've crossed the Red Sea. Can you imagine a million people crossing the Red Sea? Don't give me that whole thing, it's the Reed Sea, which is only like a knee-deep or something. That would be even more amazing, like the child said, because how could a pharaoh and his army drown in that small amount of water, right? So that, that's a problem with, with that whole thing. But here we find they have crossed the Red Sea, and not only that, but you were able to escape Egyptian bondage. God provided for you in the wilderness. Can you imagine sitting in a city of Jericho where there are certain times a year you go out and you gather different crops, you plant different crops, you're an agrarian society, you come into the city at other times, and yet here's a people way out there in the wilderness where you know that there's a lack of water, there's a lack of food, there's no farmland for them. I mean, yeah, they have their flocks, but after they kill off all those flocks, what do they have to eat? What do they have to drink? Can you imagine being the Amorites or the people in Jericho and facing an oncoming army that has an unlimited food supply and a God that will literally build a dry land bridge across the water? I mean, just separate the waters and they can walk across it. Unheard of. And whereas the gatekeepers and all of them and the king think that the flooding Jordan River is going to keep them at bay, you all know in the city that if they can cross the Red Sea, they can cross the Jordan River. And even if you had a siege, their God is still raining down food from heaven. There is no escape from this army. Whereas you may have the latest Bronze Age weapons or maybe some kind of trade route with Philistia and you have some of the best weapons of the time and best soldiers, you, ha- you cannot outlast these people. And so no wonder their hearts are fainting. No wonder we have records like the Armana letters that, that, that the people in the land are just facing an oncoming onslaught of Habiru, which some people think are the Hebrews, attacking city-state after city-state after city-state, and some of the city-states actually eventually go over to their side. We have record of that, don't we, in the Bible? And so we find faint-hearted Jericho. And what does this woman do? Even if a messenger came back from Pharaoh and said, we will not help you, we will not send our archers, we will not send our armies, may your gods help you. Even if that happened, she still had hope. Why? Keep reading. It says, We heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, one of which was a giant of a man, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, this is a statement of faith, for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Imagine a statement like that. Here I am in the city of Jericho. We have no other hope. But when people's hearts are fainting, I am turning to your God. If you were the two spies and you came across this woman, wouldn't you think your whole trip was worth it? Even if you died before you left the city and she died, there's a person right there who's acknowledging the Most High God. There's a person there who was steeped in their immoral culture and yet now wants to be free from it. Not just a God of heaven, but this is a God of earth right here in her situation. And she's trusting in this God. Wouldn't that have made your whole trip worthwhile? And so she voices this faith in God. 
And she says, Now therefore I beg you, verse 12, Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. What is she doing there? She's laboring on behalf of her family. It may not be the livelihood that you would choose, but she is providing for her family, and she's hoping that her and her family could somehow get out of it. And she's saying, now I've done this kindness for you. Give me a token that you will show kindness back to me. She has faith that they'll escape the city. She has faith that they're going to go back to Joshua and bring the armies there. And she has faith that when they return, they're going to take the city. And when they do, she wants a token of kindness. And so, spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Truly, she is the diamond in the rough in this city. Truly, she is the item that they are going to take back, if you will. The person that they're going to take back to Joshua. She is the reason why they are there. They may have come to spy out the land. Maybe they even thought that they'd get some glory from it. I don't know. We're not told from the text, but when they leave, they know why they came there. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell a business of ours, and shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let down by a rope through the window, let them down, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, and that's a whole other sermon right there when the walls come falling down. I mean, this is a person who's literally right there on the wall when it falls. She dwelt on the wall and she said to them, Go, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. And so the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head, if a hand is laid on him, be on our head. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. So what is the token that she's asked for, that they've provided? The scarlet cord. And in the Hebrew, the word cord here is pretty simply the word hope. A crimson, scarlet hope. Can you imagine the plan of salvation from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, being a huge banner that says, I will give my all for you. And we find it at the cross. And it's this huge banner made out of some kind of material. Maybe the... Maybe the idea of wool all woven in there, this woven fabric of some kind, this, this beautiful linen banner. And one little thread in that banner runs from the beginning to the end. It's the scarlet hope for each one of us. It's like that robe that they placed upon Christ. And we find that's the token that they give. I don't know if they had it on them or or Lord obviously provided that they would have this piece with them and they would hand it to her. And she would hang it there as a sign of her faith. But as I read this, is there any other story that this reminds you of? Where there's some form of crimson, there's blood, there's stay inside your house because destruction is coming. I mean, there's no other place but the Passover. 
clearly the Lord is passing over this place, bringing destruction to some who choose not to have faith. Most of them are there. And hope to the one who does. And so the Passover, we know, points us to Jesus Christ. He's the lamb. He's the sacrifice. It's his blood. It's his crimson. And so clearly this is pointing us to Jesus Christ. How there he was, robed in crimson, dying upon a cross for us. And so even here in Jericho, we find the story of the cross. And then she said, according to your words, let it be. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window right then and there. And they parted and went to the mountain, stayed there three days till the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way. All along the way. They're going trying to find these guys, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua and told him all that had befallen them. How much? All, including this lady Rahab. So this completes the picture, does it not? They've given her really an item of value, and she is the one of value that now they report to Joshua. It's like they're repeating the very story of the first Canaanite trip there, the trip to Canaan, and they are succeeding where the others failed. And now they're going to go into the promised land, and this woman is going to be saved. Why is that important? Is she really that valuable? Yes. Do you not know? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Who does she marry in Israel? Boaz. Excuse me. Um, Matthew chapter 1, I'll give it to you for right from the text. Yes, you're right. Matthew chapter 1, verse 4. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. So it's Boaz's what? Okay, mother. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. This is Boaz's mother. And we all know what happens from there. Ruth and others, all the way down through to the kingly line. She is that much valued by God. And imagine the effort that heaven went to just to reach her in that darkness, that place. Does heaven do the same thing for us? For me, it was a piece of literature that somebody somehow left in that place where I was confined at and I was able to get a hold of it. For you, it could be something else. It's a token of love and God's saying, I've done everything I can to reach you and now, now, be a part of a people that will reach the world. Because that's not where her story ends, just right here in Jericho. We find, yes, she is rescued, but go down to Hebrews chapter 11. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter of faith. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Those in the city had the same opportunity to believe as she did. She exercised that faith. They did not. They wanted to continue in their practices. They wanted to continue in their Canaanite religion, which was very much immoral, violent, and totally opposed to God. And she wished to have no more part of it. It says, she believed, and those in the city did not believe, when she received the spies with peace. That token of hope, that scarlet hope, that crimson hope, if you will, that thread of hope, left her with a sense of peace, the likes of which that only the God of peace could give. And she stayed faithful to him 
And we find eventually the Messiah comes through her line. God is that interested in all the details of life. All the way down to the struggles we face. He's willing to put hope into it. That's why I came across this quotation. It says, Through the teaching of the sacrificial service, Christ was to be uplifted before the nations, including the Canaanite nations. And all who would look to him should live. All who, like Rahab, the Canaanite, and Ruth, the Moabitess, turned from idolatry to the worship of the true God, they were to unite themselves with his chosen people. As the numbers of Israel increased, they were to enlarge their borders, not to stay put, but to enlarge their borders until their kingdom should embrace the whole world. It wasn't just the land of Palestine that God wanted. It wasn't just on the map, as you see, the places that Joshua conquered. It was the whole world. God endeavored to circle the whole world with his atmosphere of grace. And it began at Israel. And so when a people holds and harbors that and does not share that, then they are not fulfilling God's plan of salvation. We find eventually the Messiah does come. And now we are sitting here today because of the faith of people like Rahab, because of the faith of people in your life and my life who have touched us with this love of Christ. Has it not gone and embraced and gone around the whole world? Now we have some who haven't heard. We understand that. But here we are, miles and miles away. The Israelites were to unite themselves together and as the numbers of them increased, they were to enlarge their borders until their kingdom should embrace the whole world. Prophets and Kings, page 19. That's why we find sometime after the time of Rahab, after the New Testament church, Origen says, as the first Jesus sent his spies before him and they were received at the house of the harlot, so the second Jesus, that's Jesus himself, sent his forerunners, that's John the Baptist, that's others, whom the publicans and harlots gladly received. And so that message still goes to our world today. Jesus says, I will by no means cast you out. I will receive you. Here is my token of love. And what is this token of love? The crimson flowing from the cross to each one of us. It's marvelous to realize that each one of us is of that much value to God. That he saw the stronghold of the world and he saw not just a city to be conquered, not just a world to reclaim, but he saw each one of us and said, I'm going to give my all for them. Each one of us is of that much value to God and the plan of salvation. We're like a scarlet thread in the banner of the cross. We all together make up a glorious story of the one who has redeemed us. May we realize, may we realize that Jesus is not only the answer for all of our fears, not only does he give us hope in our dying world, but he expects us to extend that to those around us. The hope that you have found that I have found, are we extending it to those around us? And may we lift those hopes up high till he comes in the clouds of glory and we're now under his banner forevermore. You know, those Armana letters, as I read through them this week, I, was, I had mixed emotions. It's like, you know, this doesn't really prove that Hebrews really existed, does it? But it gave me a picture of Canaan that showed that without the God of heaven, without the God of heaven and earth, they were hopeless. Do we not live in a culture today that yes, I remember as a whirling, I had my gizmos, I had my things that kept my time, I had plans in life. But I still remember feeling that there are times when I didn't have any hope at all. What happens when you 
get that college degree and get that job and eventually you find yourself getting married and having children and eventually find yourself retirement age and traveling the country, got real estate all over the place and assets and then you're facing the prospect of death after having gained stuff in this world. Did the things and the experiences of life really bring you hope? We can have all the experiences we want in this world, but without God, they are hopeless. And so there I sat in the Douglas County Jail. You've heard this story before. My scarlet thread was sitting over on a bookshelf. Somebody had gotten into that place long before me and had delivered mail to another inmate who just threw it on the shelf over there. And as I looked for some hope in my life and I pulled out those books and tried to use them for weights, I reached and I grabbed a clump and you know the story because I told it before and if you don't, here is a dove flying out of a golden cage. This is my token of love from God. And I read that booklet and it totally changed my mindset. Not that I hadn't known some of those things before. We think worldly people don't know things. They know stuff. They've been exposed to it. And I read that. And it took me from like these people of Canaan, hopeless, sending their letters to all the kings of the world, help us, help us, send your archers, to now I know whom I can go to for hope. I can go to him anytime I want. He will hear me. And he will not say, may the gods of this world help you. He will say, I will be with you always. And so may we hang our hopes high till he comes in the clouds of glory. May we be like Rahab, even though there's messages of disheartening hopelessness all around us. May we hold on to our crimson hope, our scarlet thread in Jesus. Our closing song takes us to that place where crimson flowed for us, where hope truly, if there's any evidence of God loving you more than anything else, you find it's at the cross. And so whatever your baggage may be this week, whatever your concerns, even if there's messages of hopelessness in your life, take them to the cross today and leave them there and say, God, you are a God of hope. I accept your token of hope. Change my life. Father in heaven, thank you for the crimson hope that you give us, the scarlet thread that goes from the beginning of time to the end, permeates all of Scripture and points us to the need for us to go to the cross as our only hope. This world may offer us many things, many relationships, many experiences, but as we lay them all down here at the foot of the cross, help us to pick up your banner of love, help us to march forward with it, and encircle the world with your atmosphere of grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.